worship Him. Invite the Holy Spirit. Oh, when I'm in need, I call on the Lord, and He hears me. Yes, He helps me.
that's what we found out in our lives our God is tremendous even though we fail all the time he never fails amen welcome to the house of the Lord this morning sure is good to be in his house once again amen I just want to get a couple announcements out of the way I find if I get him out of the way right away I don't forget so but uh, we want to remember brother brother Andy Malcolm who passed away last Monday and and uh, his funeral will be this coming Wednesday on March 30th at 1 p.m. here at the Tabernacle. So at 1 p.m. this Wednesday here at the church, there'll be a funeral for Brother Andy. And then uh, subsequently, the evening service will be canceled. So there will be no Wednesday night service. And uh, the burial for Brother Andrew will take place in Calgary on Friday. It will be a private burial for the family. Amen. We want to be remembering that in prayer. Amen. Do you love the Lord? Amen. I want to say, Brother Thomas, where are you at, Brother Thomas? There you are. God bless you. Welcome back home. It's good to see you again. Thank the Lord for his traveling mercies. Amen. And also, Sister, Sister Gabby Jordan, is she here today? It was her birthday yesterday. If you're hearing this, God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Say welcome to all the visitors. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you to the musicians, and God bless you. Thank you, Brother Ray. It's good to see everyone that made it. They came, and we had a wonderful time yesterday just remembering Sister Laura, and it was a good presence of the Lord here in the funeral, and appreciate everyone that could come, and I know the family was appreciative of the support and the ones that came, and God bless you. God bless you. And I want to say welcome to you. I remember Brother Ben and Sister Brianna, they came with their children. I have to say God bless you to him. I, I remember when I was single, we, we, we used to go to camp and we'd play capture the flag. I thought I was pretty good until I came against him. There's always somebody better than you. <laughs> He just grabbed me and picked me up and took my flag, and it didn't matter what I thought I could do. He was bigger and stronger. So it taught me a lesson right there. To know that no matter how good you are, there's somebody better. Amen. <laughs> Welcome, buddy. Good to see you. Amen. Let's take our Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 37. Psalms 37. will say at the time he did that, I didn't take it very good, but I've grown up since then. <laughs> Amen, Brother Glenn. Amen. My wife says praise the Lord too. Amen. Psalms chapter 37, verse 34. Amen. It says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. 
and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. And yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. But mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Amen. Can we just bow our heads and just ask the Lord's blessing on the word? If you want to just raise your hand and say, Lord, come by my way this morning. I need to hear from you. You just let him know. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come humbly before your throne of grace one more time, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for this word that is eternal. Lord, heavens and earth will pass away, but your word will never fail, Lord. It'll never pass away. We thank you we can put our trust in you and know it is yea and amen. So, Lord, we just ask this morning, Lord, you come and break it, Lord, to our hearts, Lord that we could receive the bread of life again, be strengthened and comforted in our souls. Lord, we sanctify this house, Lord. Father, this is your house, as the song was sung this morning. It's a house of prayer, Lord. It's a house where you come and meet the worshiper, Lord. And Father, it's not about the building, Lord, but it's about the fact that we've come with you in our heart, Lord, to come and bring our little licks of fire, that we could rejoice and know that you are our comfort, our deliverer, our strength, our all in all, Lord. Father, we just want to commit the service to you now. We pray that you'd take the words that are spoken. Make it real to us, Lord. We need you, Father, to give the increase, Lord. What man could say would fail, Lord, but we come as sanctified vessels, Lord, ready to perform the work that you have for us in your presence, Lord. So we just commit all things to you now, and we love you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have your... Seats, if you would like. Amen. I want to just carry on, and we'll call this Integrity Part 2. And, and as a subtitle, I want to take the integrity of your token. The integrity of your token. And, and we, we preached on Wednesday night about integrity, and we just want to carry on tonight. And notice, in, as we read from Psalms chapter 37, and we'll take our text from the verse there in verse 37, which says, Mark the perfect man... And behold, the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Amen. There's something good about the end of a man that is perfect. And as we know, if we, you know your scripture, you know that God came to Abraham and spoke to Abraham and said, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be thou perfect. 
Amen. And that's the only way a man can be perfect. He has to walk in the presence of God. He has to learn from the presence of God. He has to be in the presence of God. He has to have the presence of God dwelling within him in order to perfect him and mold him and shape him in order so that he could, because you could take the New Testament and say, but it says in Ephesians that, that, that the fivefold ministry is for the perfecting of the saints. Absolutely it is. But without the Holy Ghost in the individual, you can't receive what's being said over the pulpit what's being said about the word of God it takes the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you into all truth regardless of where that truth comes from it takes the Holy Ghost in you to give you the revelation of what it's talking about and what it means to bring you to that perfection and as we looked at the word we looked at the word integrity integrity would come from the Hebrew word tamam which is to mean consumed and perfect and complete and so if we, we take that word integrity, if, we, if you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 with me, well, I, I'm just getting there quickly, but uh, the word to man would mean to be consumed and to be perfect and to be complete. There's something about integrity that brings about a perfection in an, in an individual. And we know that integrity is not something that can be achieved in our body or in our spirit because our spirit needs to be renewed day by day. This flesh is a corruptible flesh. It fails almost on a daily basis, if not on a daily basis. But rather in the soul, on the soul of man is where this integrity is found. As we talk about in the Bible, the integrity of heart. And there is a, a way that a man, if we want to look into it this morning, we want to first start out looking into a self-righteousness, a self-integrity that the best that we have to offer is nothing before God. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Remember I talked about Abraham where it says, Abraham said, walk before me and be thou perfect. The others weren't walking that way. Not even Abimelech who was a righteous man, who was a man that had integrity in his heart, but that was his own integrity. He wasn't walking before God. And here Paul would pick it up in the New Testament and say, don't walk as other Gentiles walk. Don't walk in their way. Don't walk after their failings. Don't be like them, but rather you've been called, you've been chosen for a specific purpose. You've been called to walk a holy walk. Don't walk in the vanity of your mind. It says, having therefore having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So now it goes right back down into the heart of the individual, which is where the Holy Ghost dwells in your soul. And it goes down and say, without that Holy Ghost to lead and guide you, you're blind. There's a blindness that they walk in ignorance, not understanding that they're alienated from the life of God. They can't have that eternal life unless God would, of his sovereign grace, give it to them by his own choosing. And we read, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'll turn to a, quite a number of places this morning, so please keep your Bible handy. But we read in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5, we'll talk about Cain. It says, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thou ca thy countenance fallen? And he said, if thou doest well, shalt, not, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 
But now, as he begins, God begins to speak. As I say, God would even come down and speak because Cain did not do something out of his own um, willing ignorance, but rather he came with the integrity of his heart. As Brother Branham would talk about in the seal of Christ, he would say Esau was a pretty good fellow too. My goodness. That shakes some of us up, doesn't it? We want to say Esau evil, Jacob good. We want to say Cain evil, Abel good, Seth good. And we just want to simplify it like that. But he says Esau was a pretty good fellow. And he even goes on to say Cain was a good fellow. Both of them worshipers and believers. Cain was not an infidel. He didn't start out that way. He says, but he was a believer. He came up. He built a church. He made an altar. He decorated it up. He knelt down and prayed and worshiped God. And God rejected him. I want you to really catch this this morning. He went through all the right steps. That the outward man would look at and say, well, he had a church. He came to church. He, he came when the church doors were open. He beautified it. He made it look really nice. It looks really nice. He did all these things. If that's all that was required, it would be really easy. But it's actually even simpler than that. But, but, but he says he did all of these things, but he lacked one thing, and it was the revelation, the spiritual revelation. He didn't have how to worship. And it says he came with the sincerity of his heart. Could you imagine a man coming up knowing it was between death and life with his eternal destination rested upon his sacrifice and would come willfully ignorant? He said, no, sir. He came with the integrity of heart, laid it out. You see, brother, all your sincerity doesn't mean it. God has only promised one way. You see, you could come and say, well, I'm, I'm, I've come prepared. I've come ready. I want to I be in service. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to sing. I want to preach. I want to dance. I want to shout. There's only one way to worship God. The woman at the well had an issue. She said, you say worship up in the temple. We say worship in the mountain. What's the right way? Jesus didn't say, well, you got to build a church, right? You got to do it this right. You got to make it pretty and you got to make. No, he says, there's one way. You got to worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. You've got to have the right spirit behind it and you've got to get in that spirit and you've got to worship him in the truth for your day. Amen. Cain, Esau. That was the best man. Even Esau, he was such a good man that his father, his prophet father Isaac, loved Esau. Looked to Esau, preferred Esau over Jacob, mama's boy, who stayed in the tents, the Bible says. He was a tent dweller. He just stayed in there. He was, he was kind of, you know, lived in his parents' basement. He, that's all, that's, he wasn't much of an ambitious guy, go and get her. He was a shyster. He was a deceiver. That's what Jacob was in his flesh. He needed a touch from God to change that. He needed God to come on the scene to change that. But that's the kind of person he was. He was mama's boy. Mama loved him. Rebecca loved him. But Isaac loved his son that was a real man. He went out hunting. He got him venison. He knew how to cook. He was a man's man. He, he was a hairy man, and he just, oh, Jacob loved, Esau, Jacob, Isaac, loved Esau. There we go. Got the right names out. But he loved him that way, and he looked to him, and he wanted to give him the blessing. But to Esau, the revelation of what that birthright was, wasn't there. 
He didn't recognize what that seed really meant. He added it within himself, but he didn't, he didn't value it. He didn't value the birthright. He looked and said, what is this to me? If I die, he didn't realize that was more important than his own breath. Oh, my. We got a lot of people today that take it that way. What is so important about the sea? What's so important about being predestinated if I can't enjoy life? If I can't enjoy what I'm doing? If I can't go and have a good time? If I can't go, I can't live these rules and this, this message and all these things. I'm just not ready to live it yet because I've got a good time. I've got to go have. But they won't put value in the seed. There's more value in that than our own good time. As it says here in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, is for we are all an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, the things we know we shouldn't do, but we go do them anyways, like the wind that taketh us away. But even then, God came to Cain and said, if you do well, just look over there at your brother that you were just despising because he was messy and bloody and slaying a lamb, his favorite lamb. It didn't make any sense. That he would take this perfect lamb without spot or wrinkle, blemish. He took that lamb and he just began to slay it and he put it up on the altar and he crying and weeping but knowing that this is what God required because he had a revelation. God said, just do that. Just do well and I'll accept you. If you just follow that worship, oh my there's so much in that that that's the type of the foolish virgin. He said the ones that will come and seal their own testimony, their testimony by their own blood. He's saying to you, listen, even if you don't receive the Holy Ghost, even if you never receive the revelation of who I am personally, if you do well, if you just live to the best of your ability, there's still hope. Hallelujah. We know in Genesis chapter 4, we know if we follow the story down, how we see that Cain slew his brother Abel. Just couldn't do it. It just wasn't in him. There was some different seed in him that he just couldn't recognize it. I can't humble myself. And he got angry and he slew his own brother. And he talks about it in verse 10 where it says, And he said, God said unto him, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Oh, hallelujah. Blood doesn't speak. The random says that. That's the words of your prophet. Blood doesn't speak. But yet the blood of Abel was crying out from the ground. Abel wasn't dead. Abel had gone into paradise where he was waiting, crying out, How long? How long will it take for you to avenge? Oh, my. There's your fifth seal started right there. Oh my, let's turn over to Genesis chapter 20, just a couple chapters over. I don't want to get too far off topic by following all this. Genesis chapter 20, we know that God came to Abimelech. We know the story of Abimelech, how that he took Sarah because Abraham, God's prophet, lied. He's backslidden. Oh my. I ought to shake everyone that wants to look at Brother Bannum and say, well, I don't think his life was perfect enough. How y'all doing this morning? 
I don't think Brother Branham's life was perfect enough to bring the seventh seal and do all these things. Really? Abraham lied. And we could say by our own justice that he had every right to take Sarah, who he'd just been told it's his sister, not knowing it was his wife, and he had every right to go down and marry her because that man told him. It was in the integrity of his heart. It says that God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art a dead man for the woman that thou hast taken. She is a man's wife. And when Abimelech had not come near unto her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou also slay a, say also a righteous nation? And in verse 5, it says, said, not thou unto me, said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hand have I done this thing. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou hast this in the integrity of thine heart. What was this integrity? This wasn't the Holy Ghost in him. This was his own self-righteousness. And this was the best that he could do. A man that had kept himself all of his days was about to make a fatal mistake. Because there was no Holy Ghost there to keep him. But God, because of the integrity of his heart, came and still gave him chance to say, If you do well. He says, and I know that thou didst in the integrity of thy heart also I have withholden thee from sinning against her. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Oh, what a gracious God. What a gracious God. Abimelech, a man who had integrity of his heart, God spared him. But because he was not the seed, Abraham was the seed. Hallelujah. You actually go to the next verse, sister. Verse 7 says, And now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. There's the humility that Cain couldn't accept. Cain couldn't take that and say, Well, I can't go to my brother and say, You pray for me. He talked with him and he couldn't accept it. But here was a man that God said, You got to go back to my prophet who's in a backslidden condition and get him to pray for you. Oh, hallelujah. Jump down with me now to verse 9. It says, And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? What have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that, thou, that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Listen, this is the exact place where a lot of us stand sometimes. Where sometimes we look and see, they're a better person than I am. We can look out and we can see people, even in the world, that you look and say, they have integrity. They live a righteous life. That person would make a good Christian. That person would make a good believer. And they could even come to us and say, why have you done this? Why have you dealt deceitfully with me? But God said, but there's a seed. The integrity of our token. There's something about the token. That God looks on that token and recognizes it more than an integrity of our own self-righteousness. We could look at Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, the three comforters that came to Job. How that they came in their own self-righteousness in Job's darkest hour and they begin to try and comfort him. If you read the book of Job, which we won't read it today, but you'll, you'll find that they... they, they, they they were trying to find 
the source of the problem. They kept trying to find out where were they, where was the secret sin, where did this happen, how could these things befall a man who really was righteous, how could these things go about, I mean we're righteous individuals, it's not happening to us, why is it happening to you Job, something's wrong. And that was the, the extent of their, of their comfort until Elihu came along, but, but they tried in this way, but in all of it, if you jump right down to Job chapter 42 and verse 7 would say, And it was so that after the Lord spoken unto the words, these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and, and, and the, Tim, the Temanite, and said, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, that ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Oh my, therefore take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, go to the servant Job, offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal out with you after your folly, in that you have not spoken of me the things which is right, like my servant Job. And it says, and the three of them went, and they did according to what the Lord has commanded, and the Lord also accepted Job. Oh, praise the Lord. What was it? These men, they came in and all that they did, as far as they could tell, they'd done righteously. The best of their righteousness, the best of their of integrity had come before Job. But God said, you didn't testify of me. You didn't give me the glory. You didn't give me the place. You tried in your own self when I'm the one that did all of these things. I'm the one that brought this about because I want Job to have a further revelation. And because Job's my called servant. Because Job's the one that I've chosen. Because Job's the one with the token. Because Job's the one that I've elected. Get him to pray for you. Let's go back to Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19. Says who being past feeling have given themselves over, talking about those Gentiles that walk in the vanity of their mind, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We find that exactly in Cain. Started out with, as a believer, came and made a church, did the best of his ability, but how did he end up? Walking in his own way. It says, but ye have not so learned Christ. Hallelujah. When you've come to the knowledge of Christ, that ain't how it came. It didn't come in lasciviousness. It didn't come in uncleanness. It didn't come in greediness. It came in simplicity. It came in truth. It came in honesty. It says that if so be that ye have learned him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversations. The old man that is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is how Brother Branham would take as he'd talk about the process of the new birth. And he'd say, first you'd have to give you a new spirit. Why? So that that spirit can get along with the Holy Spirit. Because our, our fleshly, our, our sinful nature by our first birth, it don't get along so good. Because it's got desires that aren't right. It's got lustful desires. But he says, put off that old man. 
You've got to put them off if you've ever learned Christ, if you've ever been taught in the truth which is in Jesus Christ. That man gets put off. Why? Because there's a new spirit that's coming. And it changes your spirit, gives you a new spirit. You become renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What's the difference between holiness and true holiness? True holiness came by the truth. Holiness came by ourselves doing it. Abimelech was a righteous man. He'd walked his own way, but he was the king of the Philistines. That was his nation. That was his country. He was down there in Greer. And that was his nation that he brought out. But yet it wasn't true holiness. It wasn't what God was looking to. There was something there in those people that caused Abraham fear. To say, I got to say she's my sister just in case they kill me. And that something hadn't changed all the way down to the end of Abimelech's life when Isaac came with Rebekah and he said, tell them you're my sister because they'll kill me. Just because Abimelech was a righteous man and they were considered a righteous nation in their own righteousness. But it wasn't true holiness because there was something there that the true seed looked at and said something's not right. Well, this word, as we, as we look at it, it said, put on the new man, which after God is created. This word created is, is, is actually to obtain or to take possession of something that provision has been made for. Hallelujah. Just like Abraham, that's my prophet. I've made provision for him. Just like Job, that's my chosen one. I've made provision for him. Just like you who are chosen or predestinated before the foundation of the world. God's saying, I've made provision for you because of that seed. I've made sure that there's something for you to receive the spirit that's coming. To receive the truth that comes by your way. That you could receive it which ultimately will, 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 will come and will ultimately... Uh, Come to its fullness and manifestations in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, which says, For we know that if this earthly tabernacle, house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. We have a house not made with hands that is eternal in the heavens. We've made provision. God said, I've made such provision for you that I know you would receive it, that I've already gone, as John 14 would write and say, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, I've made provision for you because I know them that are mine. I will not lose one. I'll be sure that you will make it. He'll praise God. He's going to take me by the scruff of the neck and he's going to drag me and he's going to be sure that I'm going to make it. No, he's not going to be sure by that way. He's going to be sure because before the foundation of the world, he predestinated you. And when you were born, he put a seed in you so that you could receive the word of God. So that you could have something in there that was little part of God that was suppressed and suppressed all of your life and your childhood. Some of you till you were a man till finally you came up and the truth came by your way. That spirit and that truth came together and it struck and sparked life. He said, and if I go to repair a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. 
And Thomas, of course, it was Thomas that said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can, how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto me, unto the Father, but by me. Hallelujah. Thomas, haven't you been listening this whole time? Some of us that are raising the message get that way. We're just slow learners. We sat there like Thomas a long time in the message church, and we listen, and we listen, and we listen, and we listen, and finally the challenge comes forth. You know the way, and you go, I don't know. Something finally wakes up and goes, I better understand. I better dig in. I better start reading the message. I better start reading my Bible. I better start digging in. There's, there's something they're talking about. It's got something to it. I pray that happens to everyone here. See? Integrity of the heart. Because the heart, when the Holy Ghost comes in, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, that we are members one of another, be ye angry and sin not, be zealous for the Lord. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil, let him that steal, that stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands to the thing which is good, that he may, may have to give to him that needeth. Or there's a reversal of the roles. Let him that stole work hard and give to somebody else. Hallelujah. And he says this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of your redemption. So how long is that integrity of the heart for that comes by the power of God? Right to this day of your redemption. Right to the end. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. As Jesus even came and says, how should I pray? Lord, Father, forgive my debts, even as I forgive my debtors. Why? Because we're looking for God to forgive us, and he's so willingly forgiven us. Let us so willingly forgive. How can I do that? There's only one way. By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. He says, How, says, now may the Lord add his blessing to what we do and what we say because that's the integrity of our heart is to do which is right in the sight of God according to his word. I want integrity of my heart. Psalms we read on Wednesday, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. How do I do that? Fulfill this. Do what's right according to the word. He says another place, he said, but Caleb and Joshua, you want an example? Caleb and Joshua, men of faith, men of integrity, men who God, men who knowed God said down in Egypt, I'll give you the land. That's good enough. That's real men of integrity. 
That's real women of integrity. How's God going to do it? How's God going to provide? How's God going to be sure I, I'm taken care of? How, how do I know I'm healed? How do I know I can walk every day? How, do I, how in the world can I ever walk in peace? God said so. And that's good enough. But maybe I need a self-help book. Maybe I need seven steps. Maybe I need 12 steps. Maybe I need to go over here. Maybe I need to listen to some YouTube preacher that he's gone and he's studied out Hebrews and he's gone and he knows the Hebrew language and he can prove to me the Old Testament through all the Hebrew language. I need all these things. God said so. And that's enough. I need to take God at his word. That's why what makes this message so true. Why? Because he didn't come and say, well, here's something more. I'm going to write another book, and I'm going to make sure. No, he came and said, this is the truth. And proved it to be real, and proved it to be alive, and proved it to be just as real today as it was when Christ was here, as it was when Abraham was here, as it was before the foundation of the world. When God spoke and said, let there be, and there was. He proved he sits exactly the same God today who could create something out of nothing when he stood out there and said, you got need of squirrels, you say you with me? The same God that stood there on the brink of time and said, let there be light was the same God that said, whatever you say because there's a Holy Ghost in you. I am in you and you are in me. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. We're going to jump around Hebrews 12 here for a little while. You still with me? That's good. Well. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, I would take that scripture for a long time in my own life too and, 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 and look at it the wrong way because if you go to verse 27, it begins to talk about which, that which will be, can be shaken, will be shaken. And perhaps verse 29 is in proportion to that, that if it can be shaken and it will be shaken, the consuming fire of God will devour it and eaten up, but actually it's a completely different consuming but if you go back into the Old Testament where Moses writes in Deuteronomy 4 and 24, he says, for our God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. This word here, our Lord, the Lord thy God is a consuming fire in Deuteronomy chapter 4, which is written under an exhortation of, of, of obedience and adherence to the law and the covenant of the Lord, that this is under the old covenant, the old testament, that he begins to write and say, our God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. But now as he lays this out, this word uh, um, to consume is to be an eater up or a devourer. That our God is a devourer, that he will not stand sin. He will not take those things, but he is, and you can run it right through the Old Testament. We don't have time to do it this morning, but you find that our God will consume the iniquity. We read it in Psalms. He will, the wicked will be cut off. All of these things that follow right through the Old Testament over and over and over and over again. Our God is a consuming fire. But, but if you go now in, in, in Exodus chapter 
chapter 12. I'm just going to throw this in here really quick. 12 and, and verse 12, it says, For it, it will pass over the land. This is speaking of, of the last plague of the, uh, of the plague of death that was to come. And it wouldn't just be in the rest of Egypt. It would even come into Goshen. Forgive me, I'm throwing a lot in here right now for you. Just stay with me. It says, For I will pass over the land of e Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. For I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now we know that was what they needed. They needed that blood in order to appease the fact that our God is a consuming fire. That he was willing to allow the death angel to pass over. And without the visible blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, it meant death. But under the New Testament, which is under a covenant of grace that, is, that, that, that Hebrews chapter 12 and 24 would write and say, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. What was that blood of Abel? That was that lamb that was sacrificed on the altar that was able to take his place. But that life of the lamb couldn't come back upon Abel. It was just a blood covering. But he says this new covenant under Jesus who is the mediator of this, it speaks better things. It's a better covenant. But it says that the consuming fire then that's spoken of in Hebrews 12 and 29 Listen, it is not just an eater up or a devourer, but rather it is a chosen private cons consummation between two. Which is, actually, uh, um, um, which, is, uh, which is actually completing a reversal of the two. Let me just say that again without tripping over my words. It says that, that, that in Hebrews chapter 12 and 29, a consuming is actually a chosen private consummation between two, completing a reversal of the two. You see, that, that's quite a difference between eating up and devourer and this. How could, how could these things be? Because this is under the old covenant. This is under the new covenant. If you actually follow it through and you look and you see the Hebrew word of consuming to, in in, in uh, in the Hebrew, means eater up or devour. But the Greek word in consuming is a completely different word. It's amazing how the word of God just runs right through. I want you to catch this and stay with me because this is amazing to me. Because the word uh, consuming comes from the compound Greek word, if I can speak Greek, it's, it's katanalisko. There you go. I'll just spit it out real quick. Katanalisko. Y'all got that now? Good, you're going to go out tomorrow and just, there's a Greek word named katanalisko. And this is what it means. It comes from a, a three root words, which is, which is ana, which is the reversal of role between two. And, her, and herio, which is chosen. And keta, which means private. So we find here that it had to be a private choosing. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. And this consummation isn't a big public show. It's a private consuming. In other words, this consuming fire isn't to do with that which can be shaken. It's to do with that which cannot be shaken. Our God is a consuming fire. His word is so consuming to us 
That the only way that I could receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken is by the grace of God that he had to take my place so that I could take his. He had to take my place. He had to become sin so that I could become his righteousness. He had to take that and die for me. Oh my. He says he had to become sin so I could take his. This isn't a public show. It's a private consummation that will ultimately end in the redemption of our mortal bodies. If we take it right back to Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What kind of joy? He was looking to those whose place he was taking, saying, I've got Marion Parazak's place. I've got your place. I've got your place. I've got your place. I'm taking that place so that you could come and take my place where I was righteous and perfect and holy. Hallelujah. He became sin who knew no sin. Hebrews 7 verse 26 says, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, uh, then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh man high priests who have infirmity. But the word of, of the oath, which, is, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Our God is a consuming fire. The fire is the word. The Holy Ghost and fire says, and he became so consumed with us. Hallelujah. He became in the garden of Gethsemane. He became so consumed with us till he sweat Blood drops down from his forehead until he was so separated from himself. Why? He was consumed with us so that we could become consumed with him. He became me that I might become him. For as many as in Romans chapter 8 verse 14 and for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As we read the other day in 1 John where it says, we are now the sons of God. Not we will be, we shall be, but no, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Amen. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Father, Father. Hallelujah. And the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, there's something that takes place. That His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. There's a change in our spirit. We no longer desire the things that we once did. We no longer walk in the way we once did. After the, 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 the vanity of the mind and after the lust of the flesh. But rather, we're walking after the desires of the Word of God. This is for if children, then heirs. Hallelujah. If we're children, then we're heirs. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Oh, hallelujah. 
Oh, what a wonderful promise that, that this is the, 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 the sufferings of this present time. If I can step back into yesterday for a moment, the sufferings that Sister Laura went through are not even worthy to be compared with what, what she's experiencing right now, let alone what she will experience as a part of the bride of Christ when she'll sit on a throne with him. Oh, praise be to God. There's sufferings of Brother Andy Malcolm who went and was hospitalized and died with a hole in his heart. It's nothing to be compared. What about our little things? The sufferings of Brother Ron Spencer who's lived with cancer for this many years. The sufferings of Brother Harold who's gone through what he's gone through in the last few years are nothing. Could be compared. Trying to make it very real to you right now. Then why would you pick other brothers that are going through much harder times than myself? Absolutely, because I need you to understand it doesn't matter how hard it gets. The sufferings of Job are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. To sit for that long upon an ash heap and have three people come and accuse him for that long is not worthy. To lose everything that he ever had, his children gone, his wealth gone, his animals gone, his house gone, everything gone, his own wife even forsake him, is not worthy. His health to leave him and sit there scraping boils and God just, why don't you take me off the sea? Uh, this isn't even worthy of living, but he realized even if the skin worms destroy his flesh, there's something more real than this. My enjoyment in this world is not worthy. To go out and live a life of sin is not worthy. To go out and have a little fun, a little drunkenness on this fleeting alcoholic stuff is not worthy. Oh my. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be. Stand there on that day with Jesus Christ. Know you not, Daniel would write, the saints shall judge the world. To stand there at the white throne judgment, to be able to sit on the white throne with God and him sit there and judge and you to be there as Brother Bannon would talk about the queen of Sheba. Jesus said, she'll rise up and judge this generation. Behold, the greater than Solomon is here. What about us who would stand and be, be holy before God, not in our own righteousness, but in his righteousness, and go and be clothed in his righteousness and sit there in a white robe and know that we have to judge this generation that we came out of? What glory. See, brother, that's incredibly narcissistic. Know what it is is uncomprehendable to our human brains. Because that's the way the world operates, in case you're wondering. As soon as they can't comprehend something, they got to put a tag on it and call it something bad. Because the best of human minds can't comprehend the smallest thing of the glory of God. That's why they can't comprehend how is it that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. They can't comprehend it how that someone would sit there and say that the Holy Ghost is in me, therefore I am in him and him in me. 
whatever I would say. They can't comprehend how a man named William Branham would stand here and he would begin to preach. And he would begin to preach about a cloud and he would talk about the vision. He'd talk about the cloud and he'd talk about the angels coming and they'd talk about taking off the top of the mountain with like a crowbar. And he said, look on this. That was a revelation that light had never shone on before. And people in your own human mind can't comprehend that so they got to turn and walk away. Why, when a brother would talk about it and say that he was there, set at the table, a little sister had he right, said that's nothing but the truth. He says, whatever you ask, the human mind can't comprehend that. That's why they want to take the Bible, turn it into a bunch of fables. Why? Because they can't comprehend how a man named Hezekiah, that was a righteous man, would turn towards God and he would ask for a sign of his healing and he would say, turn the sun back 10 degrees. He says, it's got to be fables because there's no way in the world that could happen. That they would say that it's got to be fables. Why? Because Joshua told, told the sun and the moon to stand still. Well, the moon, I can understand the moon standing still because it actually moves. But we understand by science the sun is there anyways. What do you mean the sun stood still? Did he stop the earth in rotation? What really happened? God wasn't looking for our human understanding. He was looking for someone, man of integrity, that would step out in faith like a Caleb and a Joshua and say, God said, and that's good enough for me. John 14, verse 19 would say it this way. It says, yet a little while in the world seeth me no more, but you shall see me. Hallelujah. Because I live, I just reminds me of the little boy. That, forgive me, I'm just kind of following the leading now. But the little boy that was there, and he began to ask different ones, a Sunday school teacher, his mama, different ones. I want to see God. I want Finally, he even asked his pastor. His pastor said, no man can see God. And they just went on this way. And that sounds really good to the human mind, to our own comprehension. But finally, he got on a boat fishing with this old man. This old man said, I, all I see is God. I see him everywhere. He's in the water. He's in the trees. He's in the sky. He's in those clouds. He's over here. Why? Because he got filled with a different spirit that he recognized it was God in the first place. It's God still today. I'm not looking for some great supernatural outward show because this consuming fire, it's private. It's a private consummation of a marriage between the lamb and his bride. And it's a complete reversal of their roles. Oh, praise God. That when we ought to have died, he died for us. When we ought to, ought to be put to shame, he took our shame. When we ought to live in such anxiety, he took it and gave us peace. When we ought to be crucified for our iniquity, he took it upon himself. Oh, praise be to God. It pleased the Lord. He that hath my commandments... Said at that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Oh my, does I'll manifest myself all around him, and there'll be this great heavenly course that everyone will notice and say, Wow, that man's so spiritual. I'll make it personal to you. Hallelujah. You will see me. They won't see me. 
they didn't even recognize him. How could they recognize you? Because the church, if you go right down to the end of the message token, he begins to talk about how the church would be a mystical body, that she would be so different from the world, and they wouldn't understand her. And he actually calls it a mythical body at first. He says, sorry, forgive me. It's a mystical body because it's real. It's more real. John 15, verse 16, I'm just moving fast now. It says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Oh my, I've chosen you and ordained you. Just like Abraham, who I, he couldn't walk away. It didn't matter he was in a backslidden state. Still, he said, that's my prophet. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. He's looking at you this morning and say, you're my bride. It doesn't matter where you're at right now, what you're going through. I've got you. I'm going to pull you through. I'm going to pull you back out. I'm going to give you the promise. And even right after he was there in Abimelech and he went through all these things, the very next chapter, God gives him the promised son. Oh, praise be to God. I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Oh, praise be to God. This is our scripture talking about it. Say, you'll bring forth fruit. The bride tree in this day is said to bring forth much fruit. Because it's the original life has been restored again to bring us back to the original sea. And it doesn't say that it'll come and oh, it's going to be eaten away again. It will remain. Oh my, I'm not even close to where I want to go. Give me a little bit more time. Let's get into the token for a minute. That's an oxymoron right there if you know the message. You can't get into the token for a minute. It's such a deep subject. Brother Branham says in the message though, in the message, the token He says, what? The life. The life. It took the life for the blood. See, the life itself is took. It took for the life it took for the blood. The blood was applied. The life, talking about the token of of, of, of Exodus and the Old Testament token, says the life could not come on the believer then for the life of an animal. See, they had to have the literal blood. They had to come and literally put their hands after they were delivered from, the, from, from there and they would come and they would have an offering for sin. They had to put their hands upon the lamb to identify themselves. It had to be a physical identity. The priest would take the blood and he would sprinkle it. And it, it was a physical identity because that life that was in the blood could not come back upon the worshiper because it was the life of an animal. It had no soul. But now you see, he said, instead of a human being, he said, it was a super, super, super human being. See, he says, that makes the human being not only a human being, but he's a son and daughter of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Of a super, 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 super life. That's what Brother Branham says. He's getting real excited here. It's not just a super life, not just a superman. It's a super, 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 super life. Amen. That was in him. Comes back upon you. 
That's our token. Changes you from a sinner and the things of the world, a church member, denominational goer, to a born-again Christian filled with his spirit, the life of God just flowing from you like sparks from an anvil as you walk, full of virtue and love and gentleness and as the Holy Spirit moving, speaking. Oh my, there you are. And what was it? Hearing the message, watching the pillar of fire, and blessed assurance, I passed from death unto life. Now, therefore, no condemnation at all. See what he's saying? He's saying, under that old token of the lamb, of, 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 of a natural lamb, that blood had to be physically applied because the life that was in the blood couldn't come back upon the worshiper. But our lamb, which is Jesus Christ, because he had a soul, he was a super, 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 super life that was in him, that was able to come from the life that was in the blood, was able to come back upon the worshiper itself. That's what makes our token. We're not looking for a literal blood of Jesus Christ. Like the Catholics want to try and say, it's a literal blood, it's a literal blood, it's a literal blood. That wouldn't mean anything because it's not about the literal blood anymore. It's about what the life that's in the blood. Hallelujah. He says, and from that time, he says, that's the reason that we have eternal life. We are a part of God's life. With the word eternal, brethren, knowing that comes from the Greek word zoe, it says, which means God's own life. That's why we become his own children. See, it's eternal life in us. The life that is in us never did begin and never can end. It can, we can no more die than God can die because it's eternal. There's only one thing eternal, and that is God. And he, we became a part of him because we became sons and daughters of God. How wonderful to know that God has promised. And in one place he says you always were a son and daughter of God. Why? Because it's eternal. It never did begin and it never did end. You just happened to be born into a body that, that was born of sin and of sexual desire. And that body had to be cleansed and sanctified so your soul could be born again. And you could put that old man off. If you read through Romans chapter 8, go beyond where we wrote, you begin to find out that we didn't willingly enter into sin. But by one man's sin, by Adam's fall, we all went that way. But by one man's sacrifice, by one man's righteousness, by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have life. And he goes on in the message of token. He says, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have our petition. He says, we know, but if sin is in our heart, then it condemns us. We just might as well not even start. Oh my, we've got to get free from sin. The only way you can get free from sin is to get in him. That's the only covering there is for sin is Christ. Remember the the covenant blood, the covenant blood is not recognized without the token. You cannot, you will not. You say, well, I've been sanctified from things. That's not the token. It's the spirit is the token. The spirit of Christ upon you. Hallelujah. Say it this way as we go back to our own righteousness for a moment. Today you might have come to the right church, say the right words, read the right Bible every day. But if the life doesn't come upon you and change your nature... It's all for naught in the end because that life has to come upon you. That's the only one thing that God's looking for is his own life. He goes on to say, and now the word assures us of his promise. 
Oh, he says, I could just keep preaching on that all day. He says, look, the word assures us of his promise because it is the promise. The word is the promise. The word is the God. And the word is ours. And we become the word. And the word becomes us. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, there's that consummation. Our God is a consuming fire. That his word is so consuming me. And I am so consumed in it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you will. It assures us because why? It's part of us. See, it becomes part of us. What a text. It assures us of the promise. Oh, my. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 9. Try, try and find a place to close. I don't want to hold you all day. However, I know you all had breakfast this morning and nobody's hungry, so we're good to go, right? That was just discernment, you know, for everybody. You know, I'm just... Ezekiel chapter 9. It says, and the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed in linen, which had a rider's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of the man that sigh and cry for all the abomination that is done. In the midst thereof. The Bible says in the inside man in 1953, and he says in other places too, he says, There was the man that come forth with a right robe and an inkhorn at his side, and the commission was given to him by God to go through the city. He says, To set a mark upon the forehead, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We read in Ephesians chapter 4, How long is that sealing there for? Till the day of your redemption. It was a mark upon the forehead of every man or woman that sighed and cried for the abominations that's done in the city. Go with me over to Jeremiah, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 36. I have to put this part in here because it just finishes it up and then we'll close. Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 13 would say, had Milka declared, if you, if you know that the beginning of this chapter, he would be that... that God was inspiring Jeremiah to take a scroll and write all the words that Jeremiah had said. And it became from the spoken word to the written word. And now as it's the written word, it says, And Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard. And Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. And therefore all the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nathaniah, and the son of Shalima, the son of Cushi, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Baruch read it in their ears. 
And now it came to pass when they heard all these words, they were afraid, both one and the other, and said unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? And Baruch answered them, and he pronounced all these, he said, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where you be. So here this written word, as it became the written word, now it was the spoken word. It was the spoken word, it became the written word, and then it became the spoken word. And it said, and, 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 and it was spoken by the prophet of that day. It was written down. It became the spoken word again by the ministry that went forth and brought it to the people. And it says this, and it became spoken again, causing the ones who heard it to be afraid. In other words, it became a reality in their hearts. It became reality. It would not have caused them fear had they not believed what they were hearing. But because they believed it, it caused such a, such a fear to come upon them, such an afraidness. That it says, but others, such as the king, if you read down, the king heard it, and he took it, tore it up, and threw it in the fire. There was nothing in him to receive what was being heard. If you go back into Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse uh, 25. Would write, it says, see, you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not him who refused, if they escape not who refused to him that spake on earth, there it is, much more shall not we escape if we return away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice, the one that spoke from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. In other words, if you hear the word and you receive it in your heart, it will cause you to live in fear of God. It will cause you to do what is pleasing in the sight of God according to all of the word because there's something in you to live it and receive it. But this voice... We take it one step farther, that spoke from heaven. Now, this ought to be familiar to all of us if we flip over to Revelation chapter 10. And verse 1, which would write it this way, and saying, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet were pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. But now if you jump over with me to verse 8, 
Seems like you're skipping a very important part. We'll come back to it for a minute. It says, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book which is upon the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I'd eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And what was that book? It was the little book that was open. It was the revelations that were contained in the seven thunders. Why did he tell them don't write it? Because it already was written. It was already there in a book when the seven thunders opened. It was already there. It was already for your consumption. But it wasn't to be written upon earthly paper. That's why you still got people today that still want to look at it and say the seventh seal isn't revealed because they read it on paper and it's not there. Because as it writes in the, in the Hebrews, in Hebrews, those that have received the word, this seal, the kingdom it, you know, that cannot be moved, it causes them to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Second Corinthians 3 verse 3 says this way, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ ministered unto us, written not with ink. But with the spirit of the living God, not on earthly tables of stone, but on the fleshly tables of the heart. Oh, hallelujah. Second Peter verse 118 says, in this voice which you came from heaven, we heard which was what voice he's talking about, the one that was on Mount Transfiguration that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And he said, we heard that heavenly voice on the mount, but we also have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise, where? In your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy man of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now you got to go back to Jeremiah 36 and 6. If you take a step back, it says, therefore, go ye. This is now Jeremiah commanding Baruch what to do. He says, go thou and read the roll which thou hast written with my, from my mouth the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. <laughs> this is beautiful, so please stay awake. Why the fasting day? If you want to know what the fasting day takes you back to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, if you pull that up, sister, verse 29, I'm trying to move quick because we're way out of time. But it says, and this shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. I'll wait for that to sink in for a second. You shall afflict your souls, do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. 
It says, for on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you and cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It says, and it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and then you shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. And a priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. Thank you, you can take it down. But we find that he would go in. This was when he would go in once a year into the holiest of holies and do what? Take the blood and make an atonement upon the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And when was it? On the seventh month, on the tenth day. Now you take it into the New Testament. We back up a verse into Revelations chapter 10 and verse 7, which says, In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. Praise God. I put way too many scriptures up there. I crashed it. Even the computer thinks I've gone too long. It says that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he has declared to his servants the prophets. So what was, there was a certain timing. He said, go and read the word. When was the word to be read? The word of God had came and it had came and it had came. But he said, now write it down and go and, go and read it and it shall be revealed in their hearts what it would be on the tenth day of the seventh month. When would it come? The word has come step by step by step by step and it's come spoken in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. That it became the spoken word and we had man with burden on the heart to bring it down into a written word so that we could take it and consume it into ourselves. And it's by what? Revelation. Because as I said, you could take and you could read the seventh seal and you could read it just as a man reading a book and say it's not there. I don't understand it. He's writing in visions. He's writing in, in this. He's writing in that. But if you get down and you pray and you, review and you ask for the revelation of it, and God will give you the revelation of it, you'll find that after that service, he began preaching the seventh seal over and over and over and over again. Christ is the mystery God revealed. It's so simple. Why? Because down to the end of the seventh seal, he begins to say, see, it was so sovereign of God, how in the beginning of the week I took God in simplicity. Back when he preached God in simplicity, he didn't know what the seventh seal was. He didn't understand. He sat there in the, in the, in the room in the first day, and God gave him the revelation of the first seal. He went out and he preached it. He came back into the room and God gave him the revelation of the second seal. And he went out and he preached it. He came back in the room and God gave him the, seventh, the third and the fourth and the fifth all the way down day by day. And he come down to the seventh seal and it's a great thing and it's a great burden on his heart. And he's not understanding what it's all going to be. He just begins to preach and speak what God showed him. And he gets to realize it's exactly it's God in simplicity. It's Jesus Christ has come down. That he's come. That it's I and you and you and me. That it's the same life that was here. It's in you again. That it's Jesus has come in the flesh. It's all of these things. But it takes a revelation because it's not written on human paper. It's written on the fleshly tables of our heart. Because God wasn't interested in taking a book and saying, now write it out so the devil could make all kinds of copies. He said, make it pure. And you shall prophesy again. The musicians would come. He says, now, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Oh, praise God. God couldn't come with that presence before then. He couldn't send it back upon them at day 
whatever day before that. You had to wait till the day of Pentecost was fully come, till they were in one mind and in one accord. Don't think it's coincidence that the day of Pentecost had fully come at the time that they'd kind of come in full, in unity. It wasn't coincidence. That was God orchestrating his word perfectly. Just like it was, how was it, the 500 people, I believe it was, that were there when he was ascended, three or 500, I can't remember exactly, who watched him ascend up into heaven and reheard those words, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. They heard those words and they watched him ascend up into heaven, 500 of them. And when it came to the day of Pentecost, it's fully come, there's 120. What happened? I, I believe in my heart, I'd say, if I, if I saw Jesus physically ascend up into heaven, I'd go there and wait. If it took years, I'd go there and wait. See, someone's got to bring me food. Thank God for Uber and, you know, take out and skip the dishes. And I don't know if they had it back then in those days, but probably not. But I wait as long as it took. But there was 500 of them that watched and seen this great miracle take place. And then it come down to it. They begin to go, whew. I've just been preaching for an hour and 40 minutes. I'm out. I can't wait this long. God, it's been how many years since Brother Brown passed away? I can't wait any longer. The peregrine's gone on. I, I thought he would make it. It's gone on. The jet that they bought for him and some... They thought, Brother Brown, we need a jet to come and take a tent around, and, and he'd come and have the tent vision all over, and so they bought this jet and things, and God bless them. They did that in the integrity of their heart, and they did all these things, and they, but it's all in disrepair now, and you can't even fly the thing anymore. There's no point then. No. We read it. The very first words we read in the very first text in Psalm chapter 37, wait on the Lord. And keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, isn't God good? How great is our God, the splendor of the King, clothed in majesty. Oh, the splendor of a King, clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself. at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God no we'll see how great oh how great is our time.
received in this day and it goes on in Ezekiel chapter 9 to say and he said to the others he said in mine hearing go ye after through the city and smite let not your eyes spare neither have pity slay utterly the old the young both maids little children women but come not near any man who has this mark the mark upon the floor the sealing of the Holy Ghost don't come near them Hallelujah. You've got a right. You've got something to stand upon and say, Lord, the integrity of my heart is not my own. It's you. You've given me this. You've given me this righteousness. My heart does not condemn me so I can ask whatever I will and it shall be done. I can come before God with a request. I can come before him and know that he's willing and just to answer. He's not the unjust judge. He's not one that would sit there and say, here's a stone. Here's a snake. No, he says, you want bread? Here's bread. 
You need healing? Here's healing. Oh, praise God, but he gives it in his way. Oh, praise the Lord that we could receive it according to his way. Not according to our own way as Cain did. As Esau did. But they thought, my own way is good enough. But Lord, let us surrender to him and say, your way, Lord Jesus, is good enough for me. Your will is my will, Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't we sing that song before we close and ask Brother Ed Samanuk if you come and close in prayer after this song. Um, All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good to me. Amen. The goodness of God. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. been held in your hand from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head oh I will sing of the goodness of God oh in all my life you have been faithful yes Lord through the fire in the darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father oh and I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God oh and all my life Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness, Lord, is running after me. Is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. You're running after, it's running after me. the good